Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, hello, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, dedicated to great taste. Set your culinary sights higher and stay with us this hour as there is truly delicious conversation ahead. We are constantly traveling the globe in search of the next big thing in food. And we sift through ingredients and food news and pop culture to bring you emerging cuisines, culinary trends and great culinary thinkers. So sit down at the table with us, open your mind, and expand your palate every Sunday. You might just gain some delicious knowledge on the wonderful world of food. Glad to be with you today, Lana. Hi. <laughs> Hi. We thought we'd kick off this morning's radio show with the idea of corn on the cob, quintessential summer, right? Because summer is here and we're going to make it last as long as we possibly can. We love to provide insight and answers to your culinary queries. So we hope that you'll write to us just like Jackie did at live, L-I-V-E at chefjamie.com. And by the way, you can always find us serving up seconds with thousands of recipes, cocktail inspiration, videos, and more at chefjamie.com. Jackie sent an email and asked us how to cook corn on the cob with sweet summer corn hitting her farmer's market right now. So Jackie, here are our best thoughts. You love corn, Lana. Isn't it one of your top five favorite foods? And there's almost nothing better than sweet and tender fresh corn on the cob that's really bursting with flavor. And I thought it would be nice to give a few ideas of ways to cook corn so that you can choose your preferred method. Before you go adding all sorts of ingredients, though, I should add that when the corn is wholesome and fresh, sometimes less is more and in that spirit there are two ways to enjoy sweet summer corn that I think really brings its flavor alive the first is to steam the corn and by the way boiling is so 2012 (laughs) it is the truth be told I will say that when you submerge something in water you actually give up or lose flavor and texture. So if you're considering cooking your corn any other way but directly on the grill, which is really my preferred method for summer, please try steaming. You need four ears of corn, shucked and cleaned of silk, and then you need water and a bit of sugar, like a teaspoon or so, and a teaspoon of salt. Bring the water to a boil in the base of a pot, about an inch or so of water, and then place the ears of corn in a steamer insert colander and place it over the large pot and put on a lid and steam the corn for about five to 10 minutes, just depending upon how soft you like the kernels. If your corn is very fresh and sweet, you really only need to steam it long enough to heat it. But the truth is that steaming it allows it to really maintain its sweetness. The sugar in the water along with the salt just infuses some flavor and the steaming keeps the integrity of the corn. And then you can serve it, you know, with softened butter spread all over that you use a good piece of French bread to bathe the corn with so that you can eat the bread just after and salt and pepper as you like. You could always use an herbed butter or a garlic butter or any kind of compound butter too. Um, I like to cut it off the cob. Yes, I know. I like that you do that. Yes, and um, I suggest that um, 
use a baking sheet when you cut it off. Uh, when you put the baking sheet under the cob, it contains the kernels for easy cleanup. It does, and I was always taught to put a kitchen towel down as well because those corn kernels, they, they tend to jump and bounce, mm-hmm. and you need to absorb their impact. So I like the idea of a cookie sheet because mm. then you don't find a corn kernel under the chair on the dining room. <laughs> and otherwise, I grill them on, on my grill outside or a grill pan on top of the stove. Smart. Which is very nice that marks them as well. Yeah, so that's my second preferred method. Second, and maybe really first to steaming, steaming being second. I like to grill the corn with the husks still on. You throw them right on the grill, right, so that you get those grill marks in the char. And you can do it either way. If you leave the husks on, peel them back, clean out the silk, and soak the corn in a pot of water in the sink for about five minutes. And use a plate to keep the corn submerged. And then fire up the backyard barbecue or put that grill pan on high. And place the ears of corn on the grill and cover the grill with the husks covering the wet corn you actually create a steaming method on the grill that creates smoke and sizzle and fabulous flavor and you just keep grilling and turning the ears Mm. and the husks get crisp and brown and they might even flare up a little bit and it's okay you won't end up with burnt corn Mm. although a little char is always nice Mm -hmm. and then once the ears are browned on all sides it's about 15 20 minutes you take them off the grill and you pull the husks away and you have beautifully delicious corn right off the barbecue Mm. That sounds really good right about now. I know. I I love summer, and I love clams, and I love corn, and I like to take raw corn, cut it into like two-inch rounds, Mm -hmm. and uh, throw it in with clams Mm. to steam together. What time is dinner? Yes. Oh, soon. (laughs) (laughs) Good wheels of corn. For toppings, by the way, we hope this inspires you. We have a few unique topping ideas that Mm. we love. Like if you love the Asian flavor of sesame seeds and seaweed, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of chili, then you know furikake, it's called. F-U-R-I-K-A-K-E, a traditional Japanese seasoning that is absolutely extraordinarily scrumptious on corn. How about Parmesan cheese? Uh, That's that salty, tangy, umami deliciousness that pairs beautifully with sweet summer Mm -hmm. corn. I love to make compound butters, as I mentioned before, and a chipotle butter with a little bit of lime juice in the butter is an an incredible combination with corn as well. And you could always, in the Mexican style, finish it with cotija cheese just crumbled over the top. Mm. Or you make a killer pesto, Lana, Mm -hmm. and you could do a Mediterranean-style grilled corn and slather it with pesto before it comes off the grill. Mm. Or even smoked paprika, which is really the the seasoning of summer for 2013. Oh, sun dried tomato butter. Ooh, Ooh, okay. Throw some uh, charred tomatoes in as well into that butter. Okay, now we're going corn crazy. Mm. I love it. (laughs) This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show celebrating food and wine and beer and more. And we hope you're enjoying listening. We hope, too, that we inspire you to cook like a pro and bake impressively as well. And coming up, we're going to be baking for Dad's Day, so don't touch that dial. But we always share a technique of the week. It's posted at ChefJamie.com, and it hopefully makes you a better cook in your own kitchen. And the technique this week is all about how to make aioli. We talked last week about what makes a brilliant burger, and we talked about some of the toppings for a toasted bun. And in my travels this past week, in fact, I was delighted to hear uh, from one of our listeners who stopped me at an event and said to me, I toasted my buns. 
And I said, you what? And she said, I toasted the brioche buns mm-hmm. and it was brilliant. And so we appreciate your feedback and we love that you're listening. And for those of you that we promised, um, what is a better burger spread than an aioli? Uh, probably, I would say there are not many better tasting good old slathering sauces out there. And aioli is a classic preparation. It's a mayonnaise base and it has roasted garlic infused into each creamy heavenly bite. And the name comes from its two main ingredients, ail, meaning garlic and oli, meaning olive oil in the Languedoc, the ancient dialect of uh, Southern France. And think of aioli like as a secret sauce because you transform egg yolks and garlic and oil into a creamy dip. And by the way, it is Provence's answer to everything. Like it could substitute for a Mm Band-Aid. You dip it into everything. You slather it on bread. You put it uh, over the top of bouillabaisse. You can put it on paella in the Spanish style. It is literally the ultimate topper. Mm. And the secret is to create a very tight emulsion of the yolk and the oil. It's much less scientific than you think. A food processor comes in very handy. And it's just about choosing the oil. Because I like an aioli that is not too rich in olive oil flavor. So I use half olive oil and half, uh, preferably a neutral oil, like grapeseed oil. You could use canola if you like. And by the way, you can dip everything from asparagus to boiled potatoes, spoon it over tomatoes, spoon it onto fish, Meat, bread. Mm. This sauce is a star no matter what you do with it. I just bought some artichokes. That would be perfect. I'll I'll bring the aioli. How's that? Okay, good. Uh, The technique for making aioli or any mayonnaise, by the way, is simple. And it is possible, though, that the sauce will break. And so I've posted some tips on how to bring it back. Um, A little bit of cold water drizzled into a broken mayonnaise brings it back every time. It's an ice water trick that we use in professional kitchens. So keep that in your back pocket. It'll make you a better chef in your own kitchen. Check out chefjamie.com and you'll learn the technique of the week on how to make aioli. Uh, With that said, you'll learn how to cook with Lana too. And by the way, from uh, one who's done that very often, it's a privilege. (laughs) I love your cook with Lana recipe this week. That's great summer inspiration. I love rubs. Yes. And this happens to be a really good one. Uh, And don't forget when you're picnicking to put the rub on the meat before taking it to the picnic location. Very smart, by the way. That's all done and ready for you. And it could be anywhere from 30 minutes to 20 hours, just, you know, depending on what you are rubbing. Uh, I like to mix it in the oil with the oil and then uh, brush it onto pita bread. Mm. Okay. And by the way, it's an herb and peppercorn rub. Yes. Oh. And yes, it, it it's very versatile, like you said. Mm-hmm. It can be meat, veggies, even bread. Right. And you brush it onto the pita mm-hmm. bread, cut it into triangles, mm-hmm. and crisp it in the oven, a 375 oven, and serve it with your an eggplant dip or hummus or nice. whatever. By the way, if you have a smartly stocked pantry, you can print out the Cook with Lana herb and peppercorn rub right now. I guarantee you have everything uh, in that pantry to create the rub and mm-hmm. you can be cooking in a matter of minutes. And if you have a cut of meat in the freezer, this rule applies to your picnic rule where you rub the meat before you go. Mm-hmm. If you have a cut of meat, steaks, uh, uh, pork loin in the freezer right now, pull it out and rub it and let it thaw with the rub on the meat because when protein thaws, the uh, actual pores open 
and then the rub sort of soaks in even better than it might mm. naturally. And it's a great way to infuse fabulous flavor. You'll also find at chefjamie.com a shrimp feta and watermelon salad, which would be a really nice pairing to anything that comes off the grill this weekend mm. or this summer for that matter. It's a great combination. And then we've also posted some cocktail inspiration. If you love a pina colada, we're making it lighter. It's a coconut water colada. That's right up your alley because you're a coconut water fiend. What a great idea. It is. And Kim actually, Kim Hasserud shared it with us. She's the author of 101 Tropical Drinks and she's coming up. Also, you'll find brown sugar glazed barbecue pineapple for dessert mm. and lots more delicious things. But with that said, um, we'd love for you to join us because we're all about making life more spectacular, one meal, one experience, one event at a time. So we're about food and lifestyle and theater. And we have a new contest going where you could win two tickets to opening night of Catch Me If You Can based on the hit movie and the incredible true story, of course. Catch Me If You Can is coming to Segerstrom Center for the Arts in Orange County, California. And with travel as the theme, we're hoping that you'll send us your favorite food travel destination. In just a few words, tell us why you loved visiting whatever your favorite food-loving place is. And email us at live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. You could win two tickets to opening night of Catch Me If You Can at Segerstrom Center for the Arts in Orange County, California. Opening night is Tuesday, June 25th, and we will notify our winner on Sunday, June 23rd, just two Sundays from now. It's a big-hearted musical, we understand, um, that's really well done, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing it as well. Catch Me If You Can at Segerstrom. Oh, it should be great fun. No doubt. Send us your favorite food travel destination. Email us live at chefjamie.com. And come cruise with us as well. We hope you will join us as we venture to the Baltics aboard the cruise ship that Condé Nast says and rated as the number one cruise ship of any fleet for fabulous food. I will be cooking in the Bon Appetit Culinary Center with you, private cooking classes, wine pairing seminars, culinary shore excursions like you've never seen from Copenhagen to Stockholm. The uh, actual veranda cruise uh, cabin starts at just $4,300 per person. So we hope that you will come cruise with us uh, because it is set to be an experience of a lifetime on board Oceana's Marina mm -hmm. cruise ship. Lots of rich history and beautiful ports. Yeah, definitely mm -hmm. so. And lots of fabulous markets, food oh. markets that is, and caviar mm -hmm. and blinis and vodka. What else could you want? Really? All of that and more. <laughs> you can learn more at chefjamie.com or you can go to foodandwinetrails.com. Stay with us. Our resident pastry chef, Abby Dodge, is sweetening things up for Father's Day with desserts for dad. We're going to mix up some tropical cocktails as well. But coming up next, beer sommelier Sam Merritt is quenching our thirst with beers for barbecue. Stay tuned. There's more right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. If you like pina colada. This is a place for people who love to eat and drink with a passion. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana as the delicious conversation continues. Okay, imagine the vision of swaying palm trees and a sandy beach and a gentle ocean breeze. 
Are you with me, Lana? Yeah. Now take a sip of your cocktail. Now I'm with you. <laughs> and imagine you are relaxing in the South Pacific. We're going to take you there with Kim Hasarud as we share her new book celebrating famous tiki cocktails and shaking up deliciously reimagined tropical concoctions. It's called 101 Tropical Drinks. And it's fruity, fun, and oh so refreshing. Kim Hasarud is the founder of Liquid Architecture, a beverage consulting firm, and she certainly knows how to shake up a cocktail. She joins us, and we're glad to have you, Kim. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yes, of course. Okay, so talk to us about this passion for tropical cocktails and all of these rum regions, which I'm sure you had the very difficult task of having to explore. You know, my publisher had to twist my arm to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) It's a no-brainer. But, you know, I would say in the past couple of years, like the whole tiki and tropical movement has really taken a foot here in the United States. I mean, tiki tropical has been around for a long time. But when I say tiki, I'm talking the authentic tiki, like hearkening back to Trader Vic's and Don the Beachcomber, like in the 1930s and 40s when they were really big. And they always used, you know, freshly extracted juices and exotic fruits and homemade syrups and now a lot of bartenders and mixologists are kind of rediscovering those same ingredients and kind of bringing back authentic tiki and tropicals. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of and you know it's something that everybody can identify with and they're easy to make and they're refreshing and you know and I think that's one of the reasons why tiki tropical bars were so popular back then and they're coming back now is because it's a way for someone to escape. You know, they can go to one of these tropical bars and kind of feel like they're getting away without spending the money to go on vacation. Well, okay, we could have a vacation in our own backyard, as you like Absolutely. to say. And I love the idea of throwing a luau, and we'll get there in just a moment. But share with us, if you would, a few of your favorite rums, because there are uh, rums that are produced around the world, and they have different flavor profiles. They do. And, you know, interestingly, I would say rum is probably one of the biggest spirit categories. With some spirits like tequila, they're very regional specific. It has to come from a certain region. Whereas rum, there really isn't any restrictions. It can come from anywhere around the world. Really the only restriction to call something rum is that it must be made from sugarcane. So as a result, there's rums just from all over the world. Um, you know, Puerto Rican rums are kind of more associated with being, you know, distilled a few times and they're really neutral and really mixable versus like Jamaican rums are kind of known for being sort of wild and funky and dark and fun. So I like I like playing with um, the Jamaican rums just because they're a lot of fun, but also there's so many in the Caribbean and Virgin Islands. The flavored rum category is huge. Uh, Crucian, for example, has a huge line of flavored rums, which are all just magnificent. Um, so I really like playing with all of them. And another thing, too, with, with rums, is they play really well in the sandbox with each other. So if you're flipping through the book, you'll find a lot of recipes where I'm mixing a silver rum with a Jamaican rum and a gold rum because they really play and they just build layers of flavor. Versus, like with gins, you couldn't really layer gins on top of each other or scotches or any other spirit categories. That's very true. And I think one of the wonderful things about rum, too, is that it's very diverse in that you can substitute out your favorite personal profile for rum that you love your signature favorite or maybe you have a bottle of rum and you're thinking I'm going to make a a big party punch well you can certainly use what you have on hand and then 
uh, infuse additional flavor to create that depth of the concoction. And you do that, I think, beautifully with syrups. And talk to us, if you would, about some of the syrups that you make, because grapefruit spiced syrup is going to be mm-hmm. bottled and refrigerated in my refrigerator all summer long because of, <laughs> because of your influence. Well, thanks. You know, and that that was, you know, hearkening back to kind of the the authentic tiki back in the 30s and 40s when with Trader Vic's, they were making their own like secret syrups and they would put these recipes in code. Like they would say, you know, Trader Vic's number four syrup. And even the bartenders wouldn't know what was in that syrup because he would be, you know, making it. So they were very like protective of the recipes. But this particular one, like that grapefruit spice syrup, was actually based on one of the syrups that Trader Vic's would make for his cocktails. Teach us how to make it, if you would, because you simply combine strained grapefruit juice with sugar. And go ahead. I do a cup of ruby red grapefruit juice strained, and that's one cup of Demerara sugar. And that's another thing, too. I use a lot of different sugars. Demerara sugar is like a raw brown sugar. It kind of has some honey notes to it. And then I also add a couple of dashes of ground cinnamon, a couple of whole cloves, and some vanilla extract. And you basically heat all of that up until that raw brown sugar dissolves. And then you can just keep it bottled in your refrigerator for for weeks. How great is that? I mean, you can make a party punch at any moment. Uh, let's get into the recipes. And we're planning a luau, by the way, Lana. Yes. In your backyard. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, the guava basil cooler looks killer. Thanks. If you're doing a big luau and party punch... Most of these cocktails are very, very easy to batch. And actually, if you batch them like the night before, they actually get better, especially if you have the fresh fruit in them, that they sit overnight or for a few hours because it gives it time for all of those flavors to really mingle well. Mm. Uh, and that's definitely a good one. Something like a daiquiri, a traditional daiquiri is, is, is not blended, but it's just, it's just shaken and served up. But that's a great one where you can infuse Lots of different ingredients. I mean, a daiquiri is really two ounces of rum, one ounce lime, and one ounce of simple syrup, which is the sugar water. But you could definitely add fresh watermelon to that or fresh mango to that, whatever you wanted. So that's a really good one to kind of play off um, the season and bringing in some fresh summer fruits into that one. Talk to us, too, about the grilled pineapple margarita, because we're all about grilling Mm. fruit, especially during the summer. I think it makes an exceptional dessert over grilled pound cake, freshly whipped cream, sea salt, caramel drizzle. I mean, you know, we could come up with cocktails and dessert pairings, you and I, that would last us a good few weekends at least. Uh, But the (laughs) grilled pineapple margarita, I love the idea of grilling the fruit first. This is a blended cocktail that would be great for a crowd. Absolutely. I mean, I love grilling fruits and putting them into cocktails, especially pineapple, because it really holds up well on the grill, very easy to do. And as it's on the grill, it kind of caramelizes a little bit, Mm -hmm. which makes it even a little bit sweeter. So if you blend that up into this margarita. I mean, it's just, it just kind of adds some more sweet vanilla notes to a great margarita. So that's definitely a good one. Okay. And, and it also makes it kind of a cool garnish, too. So if you also wanted to grill up some pieces and slice it up into little triangles and kind of put those on skewers over the cocktail, that's a really good idea, too. Right over the glass. I love that idea. Right. Lana, Absolutely. you have a, a fond memory of Malibu rum, right? That f- very coconut flavor. Oh, I love that. Which is the original flavor, I think, Mm -hmm. that people associate. And and the bottle of Malibu will be forever etched in all of our minds, Kim. I I mean, (laughs) it 
it used to be, as you say, the only coconut flavored spirit on the market. There's lots of new coconut infused and inspired uh, flavor profiles when it comes to liquors. But I happen to love the flavor of coconut and Lana is a big coconut water drinker. So I was delighted to see your number 39 on the list of 101 tropical drinks called Lime and the Coconut. Tell us about the ingredients. Um, Lime and the Coconut, that is almost like a daiquiri, but it also uses coconut rum. Coconut is a really huge flavor now. I mean, we're definitely seeing it come back and that there's a lot more coconut spirits and especially with the popularity with coconut water. That's a good one. There's also, I have a coconut water colada, too, which is kind of a lighter version of a pina colada, which uses a coconut rum and coconut water um, and a coconut milk, which is really, really good and refreshing. That's a really easy one to batch, too, which doesn't require you to blend. I think that'll be lovely at our luau. If there's heat, (laughs) then there is necessity for a cocktail. 101 Tropical Drinks is the new book release uh, with just a ton of recipe inspiration for quenching your thirst this summer. It's by Kim Hasarud, H-A-A-S-A-R-U-D, and we've excerpted one of her best tropical recipes for creative cocktails at chefjamie.com. So a toast to you, Kim. We look forward to having you back on the radio soon. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. It is a summer of grilling and a summer of beer. We love when this beer guru joins us, in fact. He is Sam Merritt, and he was New York City's first beer sommelier. His company, Civilization of Beer, has him traveling the globe to share the beauty of beer. And what better than alongside a big black and blue seared charred burger off the barbecue with caramelized onions than a good, crisp, clean, cold, thirst-quenching beer. Sam joins us live so that we can put together some summer pairings, and we're glad to have you back, Sam. Hello. Hey, how are you, Chef? Doing great, thank you. Lana and I have actually been tasting some new beers, in fact, and we're trying to sort of train ourselves to be better beer tasters. So if you would enlighten us to what the best beers for summer overall you think will be? Well, I always, as probably a lot of other people do, go tend towards lighter things in color and also in body. So a great stout is is really awesome. Um, But a lot of burnt roasted sort of flavors you can get off the grill can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes if you're pairing, you know, a big chocolatey or smoky stout. So we like to sort of lighten things up like kind of everyone else in the summer, you know, and we're looking for a bit of contrast, especially with that awesome burger that you just described. So with a burger like that with caramelized onions, the caramelized onions are just such a nice, sweet sort of uh, foundation to build from. It's always a pretty prominent flavor with the meat, and and um, we, can, we can marry that perfectly almost with malt. And so... Um, there's always a hook when you use those caramelized onions with beer. And, and usually I'm looking for, with the burgers, I'm looking for something that's going to have some malt in it. Usually it's going to be amber. Um, and if I'm not looking for American amber, like a Sam Adams lager or a Brooklyn lager, I, I'm tending towards now the Belgian pale ale style, mm-hmm. which you're going to see more and more of. And they just have a little bit more acidity a little bit more spiciness and sort of 
variation in flavor, and most of those beers are, uh, a lot of them are bottle conditioned, so they have a, this natural effervescence that sort of speaks to the grill in many ways, because it we're does. always going to have fat going on and always having some really rich flavors, but you know, it's hot outside and you want really good quenching acidity. Yeah, no, definitely. That effervescence, I think, adds a level of refreshment to yeah. the palate, too. And one of the things I love about beer pairing, different than wine pairing, is, and the caramelized onion example is a mm-hmm. perfect one. The caramel notes of the caramelized onion give you a really great starting point as to where to complement the beer flavor profile from, right? So if you consider the food has a caramel component um, Mm -hmm. or that caramelized flavor, then I know last time you were on, you talked about it like a Vienna lager because it has those same notes. So what if we're grilling oysters, Sam? Because we like to put oysters on the half shell to cover the grill and throw a ton of salty, pungent Parmesan cheese over the top with lots of herb butter. That's one of Lana's favorite (laughs) things, right? Um, What should we be drinking? You guys are umami heads. (laughs) (laughs) We are. You are umami heads. And I've been having the toughest time getting the grill marks on the oysters. They just don't get on there. (laughs) Oh, very funny. I know, I know. Um, So the oysters, you know, it's so fun to put those on. They make their own little, you know, uh, cooking cooking pots for themselves, and then it's really about boosting that umami, and when you're talking about some aged cheese on there, you've got a heck of a lot of umami already going on. So I would go for contrast with that a little bit and stay towards a more acidic, sour, probably a Belgian style. Again, the Saison, the farmhouse style, is really not a hot trend. It's been going on a while, but if you look for a farmhouse, especially a local one, from a small brewery or, you know, a Belgian one, the most famous being the Saison Dupont. Yes. Those beers are just so good with, with almost any seafood, but you're going to find that you're going to have a lot of richness in that oyster after you get that cheese on there, and you need you need to cut that. So um, farmhouse ale all the way. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because the creator of a civilization of beer, by which he's known and his website, in fact, he is a true beer sommelier. He's Sam Merritt, and he's one of our resident beer gurus whom we love. I love that you love to cook and love to eat and that you love to drink. And I think that it makes you a far better palate when it comes to pairing. Speaking of pairing, there was a really interesting article I read recently online on the Huffington Post page about the level and component of bitterness, Sam, when it comes to beer and how the American palate, because of cocktail culture, is Mm -hmm. becoming much more amenable to a bitter flavor profile. Like, you know, we drink Negronis now, and Mm -hmm. it's not a frilly, fruity, Mm -hmm. super sweet drink. Do you think that 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 has helped continue your plight of making sure beer gets its worthy recognition? I've read that bitterness is cultural and changing and also emotional. And so um, if you look at Italy, they've always been in love with bitter things, with their broccoli rob and their Campari and things like this. That's true. And so they are just not afraid at all of bitterness. And in America, we sort of have had a sweet tooth for quite some time. And it could be the, you know, the HFCS out there that's just been everything, or it could be just what we've had available. But my plight is not just for bitter things with beer. I tend towards acidity and sourness to really float my boat. That said, 
there's a beautiful term that we have for the up sort of the northwest coast called the lupulin shift you might hear of. And they're just so used to big hoppy beers that they kind of they get hoppier and hoppier and you know, that's good. But a lot of people you can't introduce them to a specialty beer if it's just gonna be bigger and hoppier because everybody scrunches up their nose. <laughs> that that's true. But you have to taste to learn. And if you were to exercise uh, your beer know-how to the nth degree, please. If I yep. asked you if there were any hidden gems we should be drinking for summer, I-, I mean, from least to most intense, could be a Hefeweizen, could be an Imperial Stout. Can you give us some insight into, uh, you know, how we could be in the know this summer when it comes to beer? A Legion Brewing Company up in Washington does a jasmine pale ale, which, Ooh. you know, has the jasmine in it. It's very aromatic. It's really floral and and pungent and it just adds so much to that beer there's also another beer that i've been sort of quaffing uncontrollably is uh there's a a great little brewery called great barrier or i'm sorry great south bay in new york up on long island and they do a pale ale that has blood oranges in it (gasps) Ooh. Oh, that sounds fabulous. And the name again, Sam? Uh, Great South Bay. Great South Bay with a blood orange component. Oh, I'm in. By the way, I hope it's okay. I'm still drinking um, Duvel, Duvel? Duvel, yeah. Duvel, thank you. I'll pronounce it properly, but I'll continue to drink it. I love it. There's a couple of summer beer cocktails that I got to mention to you right away so we can get people on them. If you mix that Duvel with the Lindemann's Patch with the peach, you've got our what we call the evil peach. The evil um, peach. How, yeah. how evil is it? It's basically a beer bellini, you know, and it's really nice. Oh. It's a gorgeous drink. And the other one is, of course, our summer punch that we use, white ale, usually Allagash from Maine, but you can use others, a little bit of gin, and a little bit of the Lindemann's Frambois. Wow. And uh, it's just a super punch that you pour over ice, and, and uh, you know, it's, unbelievable and of oh, course you Sam. can pick your own gin and you can mess around a little bit with it but we're definitely going to love it because of you we have beer cocktails on the menu this summer and new tastes so that we can train ourselves to be better beer tasters thank you for the tasting exercise from the toasty to the fruity really truly an opportunity to expand your beer horizons he is sam Merritt. He is a beer sommelier and a a grand consultant, in fact, to the beer industry and to those that love to cook, love to eat, love to drink. Civilization of Beer is his website, and you'll hear more from him in the weeks and months to come right on this show. Always a pleasure, Sam. Cheers to you. Thank you, Chef. And and take care. Enjoy your grilling. Yes, we will, and and we'll toast you for sure. There's more right after this to satiate your palate. Don't go away. We have a taste for life, and we're dedicated to delicious dishes. We're all about real life and real flavors. And what better way to spoil Dad on Father's Day than with a homemade dessert, right? A sweet treat after a lovely meal is a great way to say thank you to the most important man in your life. And so we asked our resident pastry expert, Abby Dodge, to share some classic desserts that Dad will love. And of course, as always, she over-delivered. We've posted both of her recipes dedicated to Dad, Father's Day Sweets at ChefJamie.com. And joining us live is the widely respected baking expert, popular cookbook author, 
food writer and instructor and our dear friend. She studied in Paris at La Varenne, and she is the author of nine cookbooks, most recently Mini Treats and Handheld Sweets. Hi, Abby. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Okay, dish with us, Abby, please, because I don't know a dad that doesn't love donuts. Well, I figured I'd send you guys and your listeners something to start the day with those cinnamon toasted donut holes. Mm, And, of course, I had to add in a little ginger because, you know, Mm. we all love crystallized ginger. Mm -hmm. That we do. And you've got ginger in two ways, two places, in fact, as well, right? You've got ground ginger in the donut hole batter itself in the dough. And then you have crystallized ginger, and then you have a cinnamon sugar coating Mm, that they get rolled in. So this is levels and layers of flavor. But I think one of the really neat things about this recipe is it's so easy to make. It's a quick bread, which means, as you guys know, that we're mixing our dry ingredients and mixing our wet ingredients, folding them together with a couple of swipes of your spatula, and then into mini muffin tins, they go and, you know, they bake up in a snap. So everybody can make this recipe. See, it's really smart. And it's deceiving, too, because you thought you were indulging in fried food. But the fact that you can make a donut hole from Abby's quick bread recipe that puffs and creates that airy deliciousness on mm. the inside, but the crust on the outside from baking it is really brilliant. Well, yes. There's, I think the secret ingredient in all of this is once they're once these little little donut holes, our faux donut holes, are baked. I roll them in. A, you'll roll them in a little bit of melted sugar and then uh, melted butter, and then in this cinnamon sugar confection. So it's just it's just mm. a really melt in the mouth mm. donut hole that any dad. Heck, anyone. Anyone, right. Anyone. Anyone near your dad (laughs) is going to love them. And, you know, Abby, speaking of that cinnamon sugar coating, you could really, I mean, I happen to love cinnamon sugar, and I grew up with cinnamon sugar on toast. I haven't Mm -hmm. had that in a long time, Mm -hmm. Lana. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you could really substitute your favorite flavor or dad's favorite flavor, right? How about some ground cardamom? Nice. Instead of the cinnamon. Absolutely. You know, you... It's, it's really the sky is the limit on this kind of mixture. You could even do nutmeg mm. along with the cinnamon. Um, you could even substitute ground ginger if you wanted to make it a triple play. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Um, ground ginger with the, with the sugar. Right. And mix it all up. It's, it's really, it, and you, you know, here again with the donut holes, if you don't care for ginger or you want to use, let's say, mini chocolate chips, um, add those in. You know, okay. We, you guys know how I love people to take the re- my recipes and, and just do what they want to with them. Really yes. feel free to explore and be adventuresome. And a recipe like this, and this is one of the things that great cooks know and love and hopefully love about this show and, Abby, your contributions to us, is we deliver to you recipes that are a guaranteed surefire hit. We, we've mastered them, we've studied them, we've perfected them, we've researched them, we've developed them. And so when you have a, a shoe-in recipe like this, you can make it your own, you can make it signature, you can experiment and sort of, uh, you know, break the boundaries. Maybe you want to put five mm-hmm. spice powder into sugar. Do you know what I've been seeing a lot of is wasabi powder mm-hmm. and also... Um, the red bean, were the, you going to say? The green bean that you eat as a snack. Like an edamame? At, 
edamame yes. powder. Powder. And rolling these donuts in that would be fabulous. Abby, we're getting a little crazy here. Um, and I'm loving every minute. See, I knew, I knew she would. And even if you made like a Mexican chocolate dipping sauce <laughs> instead of a ganache, and then you went even chipotle sugar or ancho, I mean, you could st- really, you know, get out of your 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 dessert box and try something new. I think that's great. It's exactly what I said. Be adventurous. That's right. You know, baking isn't as scary as everyone thinks it is. Mm -hmm. It should be fun. Well, you make it simple. She does. And by the way, I'm making donuts today, Ab. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Okay. And for the chocolate lovers, for those dads that can't get enough of rich, dark, sumptuous chocolate, this is a pudding cake that looks pretty super simple too you know it really is and it's 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 a very kind of old school recipe you know my mom used to make oh, something very similar yes um, but it's very easy to put together um, I bake them in in little ramekins um, and the batter is just lighter than air you're folding a little egg white into some very thin batter scooping it up with a lab- ladle or a one cup measure pouring it into the ramekins, and it bakes up into what I think my mom might have even called it magic pudding. (laughs) Uh, There's a cake layer, a spongy cake layer on top, and then a chocolate pudding. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this Mm -hmm. double hit, easy, easy double hit of chocolate wonderfulness all in one little ramekin mm, yeah that, ju- just six ingredients and that's classic comfort mm-hmm. dessert right so it conjures up memories it has the rich ooey gooey chocolatey goodness to it it gives all the cake lovers satisfaction you know i truly believe that this is what the molten chocolate cake was created from abby the original pudding cake mm-hmm. i think you're right mm. yes everybody said you know yes. we'll make the center ooey gooey and we'll cake over the top and the bottom and we'll serve it as our signature dessert in our restaurant we'll be famous (laughs) and and it's true it worked but this is really the the wonderful classic approach you'll find abby dodge's ginger studded cinnamon toast donut holes along with her chocolate pudding cake recipes both which will feed a crowd really simply and really well for dad's day to honor the sweet dad in your life posted at chefjamie.com give us a, a minute tutorial if you would abby on beating egg whites or meringue because i think that as simple as the chocolate pudding cake recipe is it's the one thing that great cooks and great bakers need to master well um it's a great question so when you're separating, when this recipe calls for separating eggs, separate, if you can, separate those, the whites and the yolks when the eggs are cold. Put them in two different containers and then let the egg whites come to room temperature. Make sure your, the bowl that you are mixing them in is super clean. I always rinse with a little bit of vinegar that I keep on, on the side of the, of the mm. sink so it takes away any grease. Um, This recipe is only three eggs, so I use a very simple handheld mixer, and I start them slow until they get nice and foamy, and then I'm going to increase that speed, and you're looking for a nice, soft peak. Um, it, It really couldn't be simpler. That's what I think is genius about learning from a pastry chef, by the way, is the tips and the tricks of the trade that you wouldn't have otherwise have learned. So we've got the vinegar. We've got cold separation because it allows you to take the yolk from the white very cleanly, right? And we have perfectly whipped egg whites that way. 
Yeah, and there you go. And, you know, each recipe that you're using egg whites with will give a different doneness test, Jamie and Lana, and mm-hmm. that's what you need to pay attention to. Not every recipe is beat until stiff peaks. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to that doneness test, and y- you'll score on any beaten egg white recipe. Oh, that's so true. But sometimes I tend to overbeat things. Yes. Oh, they- Just to let it go and not not paying attention to the time frame. It's the simplest thing to do for great cooks and great bakers alike. You always sharpen our baking skills and please our palates, Abby, and we thank you and we love you for it too. We hope that we've inspired you to bake this week. Abby Dodge's recipes, where you can bake together with her on her blog as well, can be found at chefjamie.com with a direct link to abbydodge.com and you'll find the ginger-studded cinnamon toast donut holes and chocolate pudding cakes perfect for dad's day to sweeten up your father's day for the man in your life the most special one that is uh posted on the website once again at chefjamie.com always a pleasure abby thank Thank you it's my pleasure ladies we loved having you we'll see you soon sounds good we'll eat a sweet together (laughs) i look forward to it as well this is our last bite as we leave you this hour it's always an opportunity to give you a taste of something special and we consider it a quick easy recipe that hopefully inspires you to cook this week we know you've heard before on this show inspired by modernist cuisine lana's One ingredient, banana ice cream. And you know I'm on a banana kick, Lana, because last week we talked about a two-ingredient banana pancake Mm -hmm. that I don't think a morning has gone by this week that we haven't made. Amazing. They're killer. And I shared them with a whole slew of people, in fact, at an event last night. So there's a good portion of the world that's making two-ingredient banana (laughs) pancakes this morning. Uh, But if you're a banana lover and you like our two-ingredient theme, we call this our last bite, well, then take bananas, like you've heard Lana mention before, cut them into half-inch discs, arrange them in a single layer on a plate or a baking sheet, and freeze them till they're solid. Throw them into the food processor and let it run, run, run till it's creamy and smooth, and you will get, inspired by modernist cuisine, Lana's one-ingredient banana ice cream. That's what you shared recently. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought I would add a second ingredient to it and gain peanut butter lovers as listeners, because if you want to make peanut butter banana ice cream, you're going to throw in a big tablespoon or few of peanut butter to once those bananas are all smooth and creamy and delicious and you've made two ingredient peanut butter banana ice cream so go freeze a banana right now because dessert is just hours away on this truly delicious sunday we hope you'll join us at the table next sunday for more delicious conversation it's father's day and so we will be honoring dads with uh, some terrific tips for sensational steaks and also michael jordan the sommelier for the people sharing wines for dad's big day We hope you'll check out chefjamie.com in the interim as well and be inspired to cook and sign up for our newsletter so we can send you direct links to our best recipes and be sure to see, of course, what's cooking online on Facebook as well. You'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen. We thank you for listening. Until next weekend, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.